morning, Door Creek. It is good to be together. If you're a guest here today, welcome. My name's Mark, one of the pastors. And we are just coming to the end of our study in one of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul's letter to some churches in a place called Galatia. We call the letter Galatians and modern-day Turkey. And what I thought I'd do as we're kind of moving through the storyline of the Bible from very beginning in January in Genesis to next coming up here in January, we'll finish up with the book of Revelation, that I just give you a quick overview because you might not have heard the five or six different messages, five different messages in um, Galatians so far. So Paul's writing to these churches. These are churches that he planted. What does that mean? He started them. How did he start them? Well, he went with the good news of God's love for them in Christ, even Gentiles. And he said, this is the good news. And they believed it. And they became Christ followers. And so these churches, these people came together in these different cities like Lystra and Derby and others. And then Paul left to go to other places. And then word got back to Paul that the people in Galatia and this region, modern-day Turkey, had started to be impacted by a group of people. These were false teachers and believers that were believing in another gospel, in a Jesus-plus gospel, that Jesus is okay, but he's not enough. you got to trust in Jesus, but you also, especially if you're a Gentile, you need to go back and pick up the law, the commandments, kind of summarized by that one command to be circumcised. And so he's writing this letter because he's heard that they're losing their grip on the gospel, that they're losing their firm stance on the gospel. In fact, he says, I'm astonished. I'm perplexed. I can't believe you guys are bewitched. What has happened here? You are, and here's his word, you're deserting. You're turning your back. You're running away. You're deserting this gospel of grace. So he, in those opening three, four chapters, he just keeps pounding away at this gospel. What is this gospel? He says, well, it's not anything I learned from anybody. I didn't hear it from another man. I didn't hear it from an angel. I got it direct from Jesus Christ. He said, when I did actually go to Jerusalem to headquarters, if you will, and share the message that I've been sharing with you, they didn't add anything to my message. In other words, this is the true message. This is the gospel. This is the same gospel that the apostles have been preaching to the Jews in Jerusalem and in Judea. It's the same gospel. It's the gospel that has made us one and makes us one. It's the gospel that frees us from the curse and it positions us to experience all of God's best, the promises that are ours through Christ's. It's this gospel that frees us, but not to do anything we want, but actually to live for God and to love other people. And so he goes from this whole focus on deserting the gospel and what is the gospel and why Jesus plus anything equals nothing to now say, not only are you deserting the gospel, but in chapter 5, he starts talking about things like, hey, you guys are biting and devouring each other. You're provoking each other. It's like strong language that they're not loving each other. So on the one hand, he's concerned that they're walking away from the gospel, deserting the gospel. On the other hand, he says, I'm also afraid that you're turning your back on your brothers and sisters. And so what I'm calling you to do is serve one another humbly out of love. And he's going to really drill into that. 
He's going to really drill into what it looks like to stand in the freedom that we have in the gospel and to keep in step with the Spirit. It really looks like not only having our feet firmly planted in the grace of the gospel, but going out, extending that grace, doing good to all people, verse 10 of chapter 6. If you got your Bible, take it. We're in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to begin. And what Paul's going to do in chapter 6, he is going to give us three examples of how we can serve one another in love and not turn our back on people that we have relationships with. He's going to tell us what it looks like to do good to all people. He's going to, in the first case, take us to a person who uh, needs to be restored because they're caught in a sin. They've been overcome by the sin. He's going to, in verses 2 and 3, he's going to talk what it looks like to serve someone and love someone who is just overwhelmed by hard things in their life. And then he's going to throw in one that just we're not expecting. In verse 6, if we're committed to the gospel and serving others, then it actually has to do with those who teach us God's word. And with each of the examples, there, there's going to be like this test. This test like, am I a person who is doing good to all people, especially to the family of God? Am I a person who is well positioned to, in humility, serve others in love? It's going to give me that test because basically Paul's reverse engineering here. He's going to say, you can know you've lost your footing in the gospel by the way you treat your brothers and sisters. In fact, all people. It shouldn't surprise us, because remember when Jesus summed up the commands, he said the greatest commandment is to love who? God with what? Everything, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, and it's love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, when Paul talks about the greatest command, he just goes right to loving your neighbor as yourself, because you can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're not loving God with all your heart. And so he's having us check. He's having the Galatians check. All right, I'm concerned. You're walking away. You think your feet are firm? Well, it's not just having good doctrine that Jesus alone is your hope for this world and the next. It is how does that doctrine work out in relationship, not just with God, but with each other. Okay, that's where we're going. Verse 1, chapter 6, kind of the back of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, that's the context here, the church. If someone is caught in a sin, he didn't say if someone's sinning, caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you who are in step with the Spirit, is the language of chapter 5. You who are walking with the Spirit, you live by the Spirit, you're in step with the Spirit, should restore, circle that word, that is an operative word here. You should restore that person, how? Gently. But watch yourself. Here's, here's the first warning. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. That's the third example. Do not be deceived. Another warning here. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. 
Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we go to the very first case. And that first one that we're looking at, the first example, is the person who's caught in sin. If we're in step with the Spirit, if our feet are grounded in the gospel, and we're moving out, positioned with God's grace, full of God's grace in our life, we are going to have a particular way that we care and serve and love a person who's caught in sin. So I asked you to circle what word? Remember what it was? Restore. Ooh, good, you guys are here. All right. Glad you got your coffee. All right, so that word, put in order. Restore to a former con condition, to mend, to repair. So what are we restoring? We're restoring this person back to the God who knows them and loves them. We're restoring them to a relationship to God and to the people whose lives have been destroyed because they've been caught not in in. Just They sin today, but in a sin, caught means they've, they've been overtaken. This is a big deal in their life. This is something that's out of control in their life. It's something that's destroying their life, and through that, the relationships they have. And so we're called to exercise this kind of love, not with the people at work tomorrow, but, verse 1, with our brothers and sisters. This is a church relationship. This is a close relationship we have with this person. Now, who should be restored? The person caught, the person overtaken. And who should do the restoring? Ah, it's very clear. The person who has the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, if it's just you, you're going to botch it up. Because you're going to move from a position of gentle humility to a position of harsh judgment. You're going to go, what is wrong with you? How in the world could you ever do that? And you're going to get up on your high horse and you're going to be positioned in your self-righteousness and you're going to make that person bitter. You're going to further harden their heart. But it's the gentleness that is ours through the Spirit that is the mark of a grace-filled person who's experienced Christ's grace and gentleness and kindness that is positioned to bring this person into restoration, and it's a process. So how do we do it? With gentleness. How do we do it? With humility. That's the warning here. We're going to be tempted in two ways. This is not comfortable territory. I mean, the first thing is we, 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 we start going, man, I think there's a pattern here. I think there's something that's out of control, and it's destructive. It's not God-honoring. And, and we note it, or we begin to take notice. And we go, well, man, this is kind of risky business. I could lose my relationship if I say it. Man, this is a risky business because, you know what? Um, they may think I'm judging them, and that's not my business here. My business here is to help make sure that they're in a right place with God. So on the one hand, the temptation could be just let's, let's not deal with it. Maybe the temptation could be, this isn't a big deal, because that's kind of the world we live in. That's not a big deal. I've seen a lot worse. Let's just do that. 
This is a big deal, but man, I don't know if I want to go there. We just sweep it under the carpet. Or there's some of us, this is kind of, we just, this is how we're made. And we just, get, we accept that, but we keep it in front of us. We're like black and white people. Like, man, a sin is a sin, and that's jacked up, and that's wrong. And, and then, if we're not postured in humility and gentleness, we do this. We go, spotlights, right over there, that person, that sinner. And we want to just draw the attention, and we want that. I mean, we're shaming them, we're belittling them, and we're getting on our high horse, and that's all jacked up and messed up. And, and so, when we've got it right, it begins with, we've got Christ's spirit. The one who's described in the New Testament as the very kindness of God. Romans 2.4 says this, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, to change. How's this going to work out? Well, we don't know. We don't know because they've got to respond to it. But we know if we don't move towards that with gentleness and humility. What is that humility? Huh, it's this profound understanding of that could be me. I could have lost my way. I could do this. Not as understanding, like, how in the world could they do this? I would never do this. We'd never want to do this. But do you understand that just about everything is possible when it comes to doing evil with my heart and yours? Do you fundamentally understand that? Because if you don't, it's not that we want to. We have new hearts with new desires. We don't want to do that. But the potential is there. And I've lived long enough and with enough good, godly people to know I better take heed lest I fall. But by the grace of God, go I. I know what you want to hear from your pastor on a week when yet there's more accusations of sexual harassment that I will never, I could never do that. That's the right answer. You want to hear that. But let me tell you what the right answer is. I could do that, but by the grace of God. And my fundamental awareness of my own weak broken heart that God has got in his hands and I desperately keep it in his hands, I could do that if I go off on my own. The potential is there. I hope I didn't just freak you out, but wake you up. You guys, are you serious in thinking that, that, that we could never do those things? I mean, if we just like put it up on the screen, the things we've done, we'd all start running out of this building. Right? So this is a really interesting thing. And, and, and apparently, these people who are moving away from grace, and even when we're positioning grace, where we have ample opportunity to follow sinful desires, they're, they're going, this is not like hypothetical, this is real. There's people in the churches who are caught in sin. They're stuck in it. They may want to be there. They may not even see it clear. They may think it's good for them. But we see it differently by the Spirit. And we move towards it carefully with gentleness and wide open, eyes open, humility, understanding that fundamentally I am no better than that person. And it could be me. Because when we're walking in step with the Spirit, we serve each other in love. We're positioned to do good to all people, even those caught in sin. Implication, I am not indifferent about sin. 
that is ruining another person's life that I know. Second, I'm not indifferent about the hard things that are going on in people's lives. This has to do with carrying each other's weight, the burden, the hardships. So what are some of those examples? Well, there's health issues. That's one of the burdens we deal with. Mental health issues. Financial issues. Job issues. Loss of work. School issues. Loneliness. There's all these relational burdens, right? Your marriage right now could be that. Going through a divorce. Raising kids on your own. The loss of a close friend. A family member. The list goes on, right? Your past. Here's what I said just before this service this morning. If there was a way to hook up this small group to some kind of a meter that would measure the intensity of the burdens that we are carrying, and it measured it in volume, we would cover our ears and we would begin to weep. It would be overwhelming. And we're just a little small part of Door Creek. There's burdens in a world that is twisted and fallen. Some of the burdens are from the consequences of our sin, and though the sin is forgiven, we're still dealing with those consequences, but they're always to point us to God's grace and forgiveness. Some of these consequences and some of these burdens have nothing to do with anything we've done. It just is in our life, this season of our life, and it's weighty and it's hard, and we're called to bear each other's burden. What does that look like? Well, let me suggest a few as you think about how this would work out in the relationships in your life group or in the group that you're a part of here, the relationships you enjoy. Prayer. Let me tell you how many people come and say, we've been praying, we've been praying for different things going on. That's just huge. Prayer is huge. What are we praying? We're not just praying that God would take it away. That's not wrong to pray that God would lift the burden. That God, But we're also praying that God would carry them through this, that they, they would be strong in their faith and not give up on the goodness of God when all the circumstances in their life aren't good right now. We're praying that God show me how I can encourage my sister, my brother right now. Show me what it looks like for me to get under the weight of this and take some of the weight off of them. We're praying that God, I, I want to be part of the answer. We're praying. We're doing practical things too. And not like, not like prayer is not practical. It's intensely practical. It's like first thing practical. But there's other practical things, right? We're Christ's hands and feet, the body of Christ. There's a meal that we could prepare. There's a meal that we could invite them to share. Who's watching their kids? Who's going to the court date, to the doctor's appointment? There's a there's a hundred different ways that we could practically just encourage and in that way share some of the load. A listening ear is huge. That's actually engaged at, at not just a cognitive level, but at a heart level, that we begin to feel and hear a little bit of the, the burden, the weight of it. But man, it requires 
a relationship of trust. Like if I just said right now, all right, go find somebody in this room that you've never met before and share your top three burdens. How's that going to work out? Like not on your life. It's hard enough to do that in our life groups. It takes time and it takes trust. But let me tell you, when there's someone in your life that is filled with the Spirit, remember what that looks like in, in Galatians 5.22? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is a safe person. you got a group of people that by the grace of God have the Spirit of Christ that's metered out in real flesh and blood relationships. That's safe. I can move into that space and take a risk. But you won't go, oh, you're pathetic. Seriously? You think that's a burden? Like, haven't you figured out the fix on this one yet? But actually, the warning in the text isn't that. The warning is that we'd be conceited and have this kind of this attitude. Well, don't you know, man? I don't do, I don't do windows. Like, I don't do burdens. Like, that's messy work. And find somebody. I, I've been called to higher things in God's family. Like, I do that. No, he says, actually, if you're someone whose fundamental burden of your own alienation with God because of your rebellion against God has been lifted by God's grace, not because of your good works and working it off, then, then, then we lift burdens. We lift I love what it says in the New Living Translation, verse 3. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. So carry the burdens. Don't think you're too good to do that. Test your own actions. Don't compare yourself with others. But let me just say something about bearing burdens. I think, and this is just, this is just me talking, I, I, I thought the text said, fix each other's burdens. Oh, man, I love fixing. Tomorrow's my day off. I'm going to have a punch list. It's going to be a good day. If I can get things checked off and a couple things fixed around the house, that's, just, that's how I'm wired. I want to fix things. He didn't call me to fix things. He called me to get up under the weight of it. I mean, just picture in your mind, Someone carrying something really heavy right now in your apartment, your dorm floor, your house. And it's too heavy for them, and they're about to drop it. There's like one thing to do here, and that's to help. Get your hands, get your weight under the weight of that so that they, they don't drop it, so they don't get overwhelmed by it, right? So we move towards it. We're not fixing it. We're not, it didn't say cast off the burdens of your brothers and sisters. Like, I'd love to do this. Just hold it up. I'm going to run around, and I'm going to just start pushing them off everybody. I want to do that. He didn't say that, though. He said, carry it. Oh, man, that's inconvenient. Like, that's so slow. I mean, you don't, you don't carry burdens at a sprint pace. Like, it's going to slow me down. It's not only going to slow you down. He says, it's going to tire us out. Now, we're not supposed to carry every other's burdens because not everybody's going to share their burden. But those who are close to us, we have a responsibility. And if they're not sharing it, it's just not on them. It is both ways, but it may be on me. 
Am, am I postured in such a way that they have this thinking that to share their burden, they would feel like, oh my gosh, I'm such a loser Christian, and I'm not going to say anything because this guy's got it all together. Right? So we're not to fix it in this passage. We're not to shove it off them. So what are we doing? We're shouldering it. We're getting under it. We're getting under it to take some of the weight off of them, that they would stay under it as long as God has them to be under it. That's the nature of true faith, that it perseveres. Jesus says the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. The nature of true saving faith is it stays in the game, hanging on to Jesus, hanging on to what? That he's good even when life stinks and is hard. And so we're, we're strengthening their faith as we come under it, helping them walk in the Spirit, honoring God, trusting in His good grace. So how can it be a burden? How can a burden be carried if it remains unspoken? And how will one ever share it if we have this phoniness about us that goes, well, I, I kind of graduated from the burden part of being a Christ follower. I've passed that. As soon as you get there, man, we could be really close. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So those two things are kind of intuitive. People mess up. They get caught in sin. It's intuitive that there's hard things in people's lives. That's a way that we can serve one another humbly. It's, an, it's a way that we can do good, especially to the household of God, the family of God. This next one this is not intuitive. It's in verse 6. Let's look at it again. And because uh, it's talking about pastors and stuff, I'd kind of like to skip this part, but let's just go there because it's in God's Word. So, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word, that's you right now, should share all good things with their instructor. Hmm, that's me. So what is it saying here? That if we're a person who's been changed by the grace of God, standing on the grace of the gospel, we're extending God's grace to the person caught in sin, the person who's overwhelmed by the burden, and actually to those who minister on my behalf to understand God's word that I might keep walking with God in the Spirit. So what does it mean to share every good thing? Well, for sure it means in the context, and remember there, there weren't chapters and verses when Paul wrote this letter, it's just a few words back when he says the fruit of the Spirit. It's a, the good things that we share with those who serve us and teach God's word and help us to follow Christ and grow to be more like Christ is we share the fruit of the Spirit. Your love, your joy, your peace, your patience. Oh, yeah, you're going to need to be patient with me, right? Your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness. That's not just me, but those who serve Christ's church, right? So think about our staff. But it also means that some of the good things have to do with the financial resources that God has blessed. This is like the part where like, I don't want to talk about this. Because there's a whole bunch of people who think that's exactly what the church is all about. They just want my money. And now the pastor says he wants, he wants my money. Like, this is really getting weird. So like, I don't want to talk about this. But God wants us to talk about it. So he says, part of sharing the good things is sharing our resources so how does sharing your resources with someone who's in ministry, how does, how, how, how does that work? How, how is, what, what's going on here? 
Well, let me just give you the verse before we unpack that. In uh, 1 Corinthians 9.14, he talks about one of these good things being financial support. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So I sometimes say, my life is divided in terms of my work life. I, I go to meetings, a lot of them. It's like all Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then I, I have a message that I'm preparing or I give. And that's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Meetings, messages. And I love what I get to do. And I've never stopped loving what I get to do as a pastor. But then just imagine, I'm going to just share it with you because you may not be able to imagine. I cannot imagine what it would be like. And by the way, in most places around the world, it's like this. That I would have to go get a 40-hour job to make a living to support my family and my kids. And then try and figure out how can I lead a church and prepare God's word and teach. And so you free me to do this. And it's one of the ways that we show our love for God's people, especially in the family of God and here those who would teach us. So three examples of people that we can serve and do good for within the family of God. And three tests. Do I care about a person caught in sin? Is that a big deal to me? Do I care and carry burdens of my family and friends who are under it? And do I financially support and encourage the work of those who lead ministry? So let me give three warnings. We've already looked at one. Don't be deceived about who you are. Don't be conceited. Conceit has like one direction. We know it. I mean, it's so easy to smell in other people, isn't it? Oh, why is it so hard to see in ourselves? So the Holy Spirit's role is to shine the spotlight on Jesus. I could unpack that. We don't have time. That is to shine the spotlight on Christ. So for being led by the Spirit, that's what we're doing. If we are operating out of arrogance and pride and conceit, where is the spotlight? Right here, on me. So he says, don't be deceived about yourself. You're not as good as you think you are. You're just as bad a sinner as the person caught in sin, and you need God's grace on a daily basis. And you are not too good to carry burdens. In fact, you've got burdens, and you need people to help carry yours too. So there's the warning of conceit and pride. And then there's the second warning, and, it, and it's right here in verse 7. Don't be deceived about who God is. God will not be mocked. Well, what's he talking about? Well, this idea that it really doesn't matter how I live my life. I can just do what I want, and God's good, and he's kind, and he's loving, and he's going to forgive me, and so I'm under grace. And he says, don't be deceived about God. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow, just as there is a natural law of the harvest, and that is the farmers are gathering soybeans because they planted what? Soybeans. Well, that was a mystery. And they're gathering corn because they planted corn. And how it works in the harvest right here in Dane County is how it works in your spiritual life. He says there's two kinds of seed you're going to sow. You're going to sow seed that has every connection 
to the flesh, to our own sinful desires. What are those desires? Well, go back to chapter 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Oh, yeah, I knew that. In fact, classic case in point is, right, it's all the stuff that's going on right now. That is a classic case of reaping what you sow, and you go, I'm not into that sex stuff, and so I'm all good. Hang on. He's just getting started. <laughs> Buckle up. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. They're, they, they manifest externally, the stuff that's broken in the heart becomes visible. Sexual immorality, any sex outside of marriage, impurity, more sexual craziness, debauchery, more, going lower, deeper, idolatry, you go, I'm good, I'm good, witchcraft, yeah, I don't do that, witchcraft, oh, 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 this, here we go, buckle up, hatred, that unforgiving spirit, discord, always tension fighting, jealousy, fits of rage, well, I just lost my temper. No, actually, the Bible just said that was a fit of rage. That's part of fleshly desires. Anger out of control. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Factions. Splitting up people for your own personal gain. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies and the like. You sow that. You pursue those desires. You let those take root in your life. He said it's going to lead to a harvest of one thing. What's the word in the text? Do you remember it? Destruction. Say it with me. Destruction. Is that, is, that, is that a happy word for you? Destruction? Do you like that word? That is not a good word. That is not what you want. That is not what God wants. And that's what sin does. And that's where, this where the sinful desires lead us. To the edge of the cliff and over the cliff, it destroys us. The, the thief, the enemy, is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and what's the last one? Destroy. Destruction. Oh, but it looks so great. It promises to be a shortcut to my happiness, to my security, to meaning and purpose, and all the other things we can attach to it. And, and and Paul saying, and God saying through Paul, would you open your eyes? This is bad. This is only heading to one thing. And it may be going good now. Don't be mocked. It's going to ruin you. Because the laws of this universe that God created are the laws of our heart. And God will not be mocked. His word is true. Heed the warning. Heed the warning. And then there's the last kind of warning. It's there in verse 9. Don't get tired. Don't grow weary of doing good. The implication is serving each other humbly, restoring, bearing burdens, sharing with those who lead us. It takes its toll. Expect the doing good and loving your neighbor. This is the law of Christ, to love your neighbor as yourself. Expect that to cost who is the perfect example of loving his neighbor as himself? Answer, Jesus. Jesus. Did it cost him anything? Was he ever worn out? Was he ever weary? Did he ever want to say, God, if there's another way, please take this cross, this cup away from me? It's Jesus. So we have to have expectations that when we are 
changed by the gospel of grace and following and in step with the Spirit. He's going to call us to be extenders and dispensers of this grace, and, and, and it's going to cost. But it's going to give, what is the harvest? Eternal life for you, for those that we're loving, that we would be in this place to actually make an eternal difference? Are you kidding to meet up in heaven and for someone to thank you for being there at their time of need to gently steering them back to Christ to, with strength, getting under the weight, and it was for a period of time for supporting the work of God that others would say, I I'm here because you gave and that person led me to faith and that we could be in that position. And so it's not like he, he had a couple things. It's like these things go together, deserting the gospel and turning our back on each other. And I'd like us to just reverse engineer it because he says that the law of Christ, that the law of Christ is that very thing that helps us understand if we're standing firm. And the law of Christ is loving my neighbor. And he says the whole the law can be summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. And so, I mean, it's just so easy to go, I believe that I'm saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I'm not into the Jesus plus thing. I'm not confused about what I bring to the table. I understand that my faith is not to be alone, but I'm to serve others humbly in love. But I got it clear. I'm clear here. And, and Paul's going, it's not clear here if it's not right here. So, if I'm, if I'm not gentle with those caught in sin, if I'm not willing to share the burden, if I'm not actually willing to release the resources God has given me to help his work go forward as I support those who do ministry, I'm not there if I'm not engaged here. Does this make sense? And what keeps us out of both these is pride. I, you know, and that's, that's what that Jesus plus thing is. That actually Jesus isn't enough. That I actually can be my functional Savior. Oh, maybe not at the front door, but on my way through this thing. I'll work it out. I don't want to bother you, God. I know you're pretty busy running the world. And I'll just take care of things. It's pride. It's pride. And it's pride to think, oh, you, you, you are pathetic that you got caught in this. Oh, it's pride that would say, I don't have time. Figure it out on yourself. And it's pride to say, that's my money. Nobody tells me to do with my money, what I'm going to do. But all that's destroyed by God's grace in extending His Son for us. And so where are we standing? And you'll get clarity on your stance when you look at our relationships. You get clarity on your stance when you just ask. Would you be so bold to ask someone who knows you better than anybody else, how much pride is there in my life? How much conceit would I have that conversation with Lori today? How much hubris, how much high horse self-righteousness is there? How much is just everything about me? Standing on the gospel. But let me encourage you too. 
Because what I know about this church is we want to do good to all people. Starting here with the family of God. I, I know that we, we've got this crazy percentage of people that are part of a small group and you're doing life together. If you're not there, that's what we do. We gather in a circle and relationship around Christ and his word and we care for each other. We try to encourage each other to keep in step with the spirit and with Christ. That's what we do here. We're doing it well. Can we get better? Absolutely. Are there a bunch of burdens that are being unspoken? Of course. Are there people caught in sin? Yep. Right here listening to me now. Caught in sin. But we're doing well in so many of these things. $79,194 you just generously gave to go all outside of Door Creek Church to our partners in Madison, Dane County, to South Dakota, Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, down in New Orleans in the hood there, to places like uh, Liberia and um, Honduras and Haiti and um, Mozambique, all these places that you're, you're giving to. Rwanda, not Mozambique, Rwanda. And so th that's awesome. You're adopting teachers. That's doing good to all people. You're, you're in the game with neighbors and friends, and that, that's a beautiful thing. May we be a church that continues to do good to all people, especially the family of God. When they see how we love each other, it's a huge apologetic to go, maybe, maybe God's real. Maybe he's real. Let's pray. Father God, help us to see where we're standing. Help us to see how we're loving and to connect those two. Be merciful to us in our self-sufficiency. Be merciful to us in our lack of understanding on how to do some of this. Continue to give us your spirit. Be pleased in how we live our lives desperately dependent with you. Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to stay in step with you. And we want to be a beautiful representation, your hands and feet here in Dane County and wherever you've partnered us around the world in a way that people would boast about who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.